Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. The pandemic years have been tumultuous for many investors. Now, we knew recovery wasn't going to be a straight line up. Less clear at this point is which companies will survive the pandemic. Now, Kathy Woods, who many believes is one of the top innovation investors in public markets, believes that half the S&P 500 is threatened by disruption. So our big question today, are there companies worth buying at this juncture of global recovery? going to cover a tech stock as well. Chris Lee Sisanto is investment blogger at RethinkWealth.com. It's been some time, Chris. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Michelle? I am doing good. All right. Let's get your reading of uh, the overview of markets so far from what you've seen in 2021. Uh, there was, of course, the whole meme stock mania that happened back in January. And we saw the rise of the retail investor and uh, the profound shifts that that can bring with it. Here in Asia Pacific, Asia Pacific's top performing markets really led global equity markets in the first half of 2021. Uh, Vietnam's VN index up 27.6%. In in comparison, the S&P 500 gained 14.4% in the first six months of 2021. So in your view, have the markets really behaved in line with expectations for the first half of this year? Well, I think the market has not changed. Uh, the market has always behaved in line with uh, how the market has always behaved, which is pretty much unpredictable. Uh, and I think it is uh, not surprising that we see the volatility that we are seeing this year, uh, especially because of the Delta variant. And I mean, if you look at uh, a very simple uh, index of the fear or the grid in the market, so one can just go to CNN, fear and grid index, and you can see that now we are at the level of the fear side. So it's 32 out of 100. And uh, as you can um, as you may have already seen as well, not just uh, uh, Vietnam has been doing quite well, but in the US and in China especially, things haven't been looking that good. But again, it is not uh, surprising. Ultimately, as an investor, what we should focus on is we should focus on things that we can predict Mm -hmm. with a good probability. And that is not, uh, in my view, that is not about the market, but ultimately that is about the business the people that's running the business and uh, if the business do well, the stock will uh, have a very high probability of doing well over the long run. Okay, so that long-standing investment principle of study the business still stands amidst all the um, volatility that we're seeing around us. So we have to move to our next question then. Are there companies worth buying at this juncture of global request? I just want to pick up on a point that you mentioned. You know, we started off by asking you whether you thought markets have so far behaved in line with expectations for the first half of this year and what sort of key investment lessons perhaps investors can take uh, from first half 2020 investment principles. And you said for you, the most important investment principle is how good is this company assessing the company based on fundamentals. But, you know, just 
to play devil's advocate, the big news recently is Beijing's sweeping crackdown on the edtech sector, and that has unleashed shockwaves across global markets, wiping out some $769 billion in value from US-listed Chinese stocks over just five months. So they may have been really good companies, but with people not sure about what China's going to clamp down next in the industry, we've seen a lot of value wiped out and global investors um, pretty much wondering if China's edtech industry is uninvestable. So what are your views there? Yeah, I mean, uh, that is part and parcel of investing in the Chinese stocks in the Chinese market, which is part of the regulatory risk that is inherent with regards to these Chinese companies. And uh, pertinent to the education uh, stocks are going down by like 60% in a day and dropping further down. That's because of purely the fact that their business model has been fundamentally broken by uh, mm. by the by the by by the regulatory side proposing that they turn into a non profit, right? Mm-hmm. So at first like probably, you know the uh, by the way, Michelle, the stock has been falling down for quite some time, especially Tel and then I think there were quite a number of investors, including some of my friends who were actually mm. long on the Edu stock because they say that the edu stock uh, they do like primary like offline and they have like a lot of like centers mm-hmm. as opposed to tell which mm. is more into online but the fact remains that by uh, by the Beijing side proposing that they go non-profit that is uh, fundamentally bring a huge amount of uncertainty into their business model and uh, that is worrying but uh, there's a um, that is a normal part of investing in the Chinese companies. So really, uh, it's not. It's surprising, but at the same time, it's not that surprising. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, You know, meantime, China's clampdown has shocked even some of the most seasoned China watchers. But we know that most securities act logically, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we try to apply that logic to, to what we still don't know, which is the future. So when it comes to recovery, given what we're seeing now, are some companies going to survive or like Kathy Woods uh, do you think that really uh, some are just going to be so threatened by disruption they're not going to come back at all let's narrow in on what we discuss cruise lines can the world survive without cruises moving ahead what do you think so the first uh, the first principle is that uh, change is always there mm-hmm. right so those companies who do not change along with the behavior of the customers who do not change along with the technology advancement, they are definitely going to be obsolete and they are definitely going to go into what you call a sunset industry and they are not going to last. So I think with regards to whatever industry that we are talking about, the quality of the management and the adaptability of the management with regards to change is one of the, is one of the aspects that I think we have to focus on. So that is the innovation aspect, that is the R&D aspect, and that takes some time. So cruise lines, again, uh, with regards to any investment, I think the meta model should be we have to think about what's changing and what is unchanging, right? Mm-hmm. So with regards to cruise lines, I think what is unchanging is that the human desire, the human desire to go out, the human desire to distress, the human desire to have fun, the human desire to travel, mm-hmm. right? 
So if you think about business travel, uh, if you need to meet a client, sometimes, well, you can do it via Zoom. So so the question of like whether there will be less business travels on the road or there will be more business travels travels down the road, uh, that is maybe a little bit uh, uncertain. Uh, maybe you might want to meet the person only for high-level meetings. Mm-hmm. But for cruises, we are talking about leisure travels. And I've been long on uh, Carnival Cruise. I have a, a good stake in Carnival Cruise calls um, since last year. So uh, I may be wrong, but my bet is that, hey, uh, people are dying to travel, right? <laughs> After one and a half years of the pandemic, lockdown, uh, etc. And I, I think it's, 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 it's definitely going to come back. That's my view. And uh, that's just my view. But you have to see what are the evidence, right? Yeah, so for, because there are many cruise yeah. lines, right? There's Royal Caribbean, there's Norwegian cruise lines. Um, even Walt Disney Company involved in it. And we know that it's interesting, Carnival Cruise, because it lost $10.2 billion last year. Chris, you believe mm. it can survive this next year without cruises this year? Uh, so... That's true. That's true. That they have, uh, they have like sustained like staggering amount of losses. Mm. Uh, but they have made use of those like times mm-hmm. to actually uh, cut down on the less efficient ship, mm. as well as those times last year. Uh, Michelle, you know, last year for some companies, it's merely about survival, right? Yep. After surviving, and then we we look to see if we are able to thrive, and that's based on the demand, etc. But what you you can see now is that uh, all the all the high interest debt that they took on last year, uh, with the losses, etc., they are they have started to refinance it this year, and they also demand for that refinance. Uh, all those uh, high cost of debt, like 11.5% that they did last year, they're trying to refinance it uh, back down to maybe like 4%, 5%, and there's good demand for that. And uh, the fact is that right now what we are seeing is that despite a very small amount of advertising spend, um, I mean, not only Carnival Cruise. The only reason why I was long on Carnival Cruise and not the others is because mm. the price to value gap the price to value gap for Carnival Cruise at that point in time was uh, much more attractive for me. There's a bigger, what you call margin of safety. And um, that's the only reason why. And also because, of course, a Carnival Cruise is the largest cruise in the world. So they are able to stagger uh, their cruise resumptions according to the countries, the states that has starting to allow them to. So yes. their bookings volume are very high and they are also expecting to operate up to 75% of their fleet capacity by the end of 2021. So so that is uh so that shows that the demand is the demand is there with very little advertising spend and uh, likely by end of this year they are likely in a much better better position already as opposed to earlier this year. Fascinating. All right. Carnival Cruise Line last traded at $1.20, up 5.5%. 
It has been moving up, I think, since we've seen some uh, decisions being made over in the U.S. to do with the courts, the U.S. courts of appeals, and uh, <laughs> whether or not ca- countries yeah. can set restrictions on whether or not cruise lines can sail. And uh, so right now, I mean, it's back and forth, but basically yeah, drama, drama. previous ruling has been reversed, saying the CDC uh, cannot enforce and order cruise lines, basically can sail with unvaccinated passengers, at least over in Florida. All right, that's really interesting, Chris. Our guest today is Chris Lee Susanto, investment blogger. You can find him at re-thinkwealth.com. We are talking about what investors should be looking at if most securities move logically, that is, are there companies <laughs> worth buying at this juncture of global recovery? So I started by talking about Kathy Wood saying she believes half of the S&P 500 will be threatened by disruption. I guess we'll see because this week some 165 constituents uh, of the S&P 500 will release their earnings. Uh, but given what you've seen so far when it comes to a tech stock, what do you think is worth getting into? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as a as a good mental model for all investors, right? Mm-hmm. I like to tell them that hey, uh, let's look at uh, two kinds of opportunities. A very simple one. So the first one is that when you look at some good companies, they may be trading at a great price, at a cheap price, right? So that's very attractive. Yep. And usually, tech companies uh, are usually what we call great companies, but normally they are not set, uh, trading at a cheap price. They are usually trading at a reasonable price. So one is good at cheap price, one is great at reasonable price. And uh, one company that I've been long, I, I think if I'm not wrong, since like 2000. 18 uh, or Good yeah, for 2018 you. period was Facebook. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Facebook. Yeah, so Facebook is the largest social network in the world, and uh, they have about 2.5 billion monthly active users. So there's a lot of people, 2.5 billion, right? Yep. And uh, the daily active users has also been rising. So you notice that more people who only use it on a monthly basis, now started to use it on a daily basis. So the daily active users is about 1.878 billion. And uh, that uh, that is only Facebook, right? But if you look at the fa- family, uh-huh. so they are fa- family daily active people. So what do they mean by family is that uh, Facebook owns not only Facebook, but they also own Instagram, they also own WhatsApp, they also own Oculus Quest, which is a very, very good uh, VR headset that I personally own as well, o- uh, o- Oculus Quest too. So you notice that the amount of daily active people, this metric has been rising as of uh, quarter one, 2021, it's about 2.72 billion people. So I think Facebook is a very interesting company because uh, you notice that there are some companies where they evolve. So like Hattie Wood was saying disruption, right? So yep. we want to own companies that evolve and not only evolve, that thrive with the with the evolution of times. So you notice Amazon at the start just sell books, but now they sell everything, right? They yeah, I like, actually asked uh, someone from Amazon, yeah. I said, why do you start with books, you know? I mean, it seems so uh, strange. And he said, well, the margins are large. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like some companies, so that's very interesting, Michelle, that you said that the margin are large. Some companies 
start with that, they make lots of money, but they refuse to change because mm. they want to stay with the large margin. Mm. So you see Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster is gone because they did not change with the times. They think that, oh, uh, renting out DVD, late fees, it's a, such a good margin business. I want to stay there. But they forgot, uh, they did not want to acquire Netflix. What a terrible mistake. So Facebook is a company where they evolve with the time. They see that, okay, people are using their Facebook. People are using their Instagram. What can they do with it, right? That's the question. So they are starting to roll out shopping features so that when people see, then they can shop directly uh, on Facebook or on Instagram. And they treat their not only their users well by providing quality free products mm-hmm. that now even though we can uh, port oh, uh, do you know that we can like download all our data on Facebook and we can just delete our Facebook account easier nowadays I did but not why, know that wow yeah we can do that but You're taking privacy seriously then right Yes, mm. yes, because of the regulatory concerns and the regulatory issues. But as long as they continue to give this quality product, even if people can delete and like download all their data, people won't do that because it's still a free quality product. And uh, they're also treating their their influencers uh, very well, right? Because they want to actually like, they, I think they recently have a program where they plan to incentivize these influencers with more money so that uh, they will come on to Instagram and Facebook to maybe like sell their stuff. And uh, once, uh, once this is even stronger, the users will definitely be stickier because one of Facebook competitive advantage, which is a very wide one, is network effect, right? So the more people use, mm-hmm. uh, the stickier it it will be and uh, they can show more ads. <laughs> and Those ads and, are very yeah. difficult to ignore. So when it comes to the shopping <laughs> potential, especially live streaming potential, I mean, Facebook's really top of the game there. So like you say, Facebook is uh, has got many fundamental qualities that are attractive for the long-term investor. We know Facebook will report its fiscal Q2 results uh, this Wednesday. So as a long-term investor, can you share with us how you approach these results? What are you going to be looking out for? Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, what you want to see in uh, in uh, in your investment is uh, I have this, uh, this framework that I call the 4M1S growth framework, right? Mm-hmm. So the first one is that we need to start with the right state of mind, right mindset. So we are business owner, not a trader. So uh, what we want to see is whether the management, the business, are they still continuing? Are they still continuing to do the right thing in terms of the innovation, in terms of the core business, right? And of course, you want to see that the price. The price range, the valuation range is not too crazy overvalued. But again, for really great companies, you want to own them for a long period of time because, I mean, like uh, investing $10,000 in Microsoft about 30 years ago would yield us about $13 million right now. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love those numbers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a surprising number. But, but, but Michelle, uh, that number is right. Uh, comes from deciding, right? Each quarterly earnings, you decide that, okay, I don't sell. 
Okay, I don't sell. Okay, right. I don't sell. Okay, I don't sell. Okay, I don't sell. <laughs> For 30 years. Oh and then 10,000 become 13 million dollars. <gasps> That's a lot yeah. of looking away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I would, I would say for all investors, we need to have the right state of mind, right routine, right understanding, and really be a business owner. Don't be a trader, right? Because the life-changing gains are made in holding, not in buying and selling. So am I right to say you don't actually, um, you know, uh, pay a lot of heed then to the numbers or, or do you? I mean, I'm not sure if you, you go to them with a fine tooth comb or you've generally made up your mind. And so it doesn't really matter what happens in terms of Q2. Yeah, uh, I do look at the quarterly earnings. But if I see that it is still in line, as it, you know, it's still growing, it's still like doing well, it's still as expected, then I don't really, I don't really pay much attention to it. Right. So, so Michelle, I, so I don't know if you have time, but there's, uh, there's a mental model that is practiced by this uh, quite a legendary fund manager. Mm. He's, called, he's called Nick Slips. So I think this guy hold Amazon in his fund for like, I don't know, 13, 15 years, you know. And there's this like a meta model that he had, which is uh, along the line of destination analysis. So what does destination analysis do is basically when you buy a company, right, Michelle, we have to see why we buy it and where do we see this company going into or becoming, so I think at that point in time, you know, when Nick Sleep like invest in like Amazon, maybe they are still just selling books, but he see Amazon as much bigger than that. Mm. So you know, despite the crash down fifty percent, down sixty percent, up two hundred percent, down blah, blah blah blah, he still holds it, right? So so that uh, that helps us to keep us aligned and in check with regards to hey. Where are we seeing this company go to? So for like Carnival Cruise, uh, I'm not I'm not too worried right now, right? My calls will expire like next year January. But what I'm seeing is that um, my bet is that the Delta variant, you know, we are going to go through it. So I don't look at the stock price every day, and then like uh, <laughs> like like if the market goes down, I'm unhappy. If the market go, I'm happy. Uh, I know you I have to see where you want this to end up. That helps us to keep us in check. All right. Long-term good investing, a primer there. So um, it's been fascinating, these insights, Chris. Thank you very much for joining us today. Most welcome. Happy to be here as always. He is an investment blogger. You can find him at RethinkWealth.com. This is Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.